0: You know, Thomas Hickey's one of my players who was, you know, played at the edge, grew up in Calgary, was a top draft pick, but he went, he found his way in the NHL. And we talked about million dollar plays. He made little million dollar plays all over the ice. And he talks about it now. He's the New York Islanders, you know, play by play guy. And, you know, coming around the net, snap to the wall, million dollar play. You know, that winger getting it out under heavy forecheck. That's a million-dollar play. And if you can keep doing it, I mean, Shea Weber always used to say, Josh Georges, those guys, they used to say, you can make a 10-foot pass 10 out of 10 times, you can play in the NHL. Not nine times. Nine times you can't. Not nine and a half. It's 10 out of 10 every time.
1: That was NHL player agent Jarrett Bouquet of Titan Sports Management. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Podolin. Just watch me now. Hello there and welcome back or welcome to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padola and I am your host, Jason Padolan and you're here for episode 130, episode 130. Uh, kind of an exciting uh, landmark there to hit the 130s. And today you are going to be listening to Jarrett Bouquet of the Titan Sports Management Group, co-founder along with Kevin Epp, uh, NHL player agent, uh, Representing the likes of Lars Eller, Jacob Silverberg, uh, Andre Borovkovsky, Ryan Reeves. Uh, They've represented Shea Weber, Scott Niedemeyer, Rob Niedemeyer. Uh, been in business a long time now. Have, I believe, under 35 NHL players under contract. Uh, based primarily out of Western Canada and, uh, and Western United States. And they are recruiting uh, the next group of stars, and have people in their stable uh, currently, like the uh, Wonder Boy, Mister um, Dupont. Landon Dupont is uh, is a client of theirs. I guess you can't technically say client um, because they, until they sign a contract, they are not technically clients officially uh, with the younger generation. But uh, yeah, they're always looking for the next greatest shiniest thing uh we talk about that actually in in this episode about how how they recruit players how where they look and what they look for uh which is quite interesting and uh we talk about a lot of fun stuff that i think you're gonna love love this episode jared was really uh gracious with his time and with the range of topics that we covered, not not uh, not the least of which, you know, the mental side of what they do and what they help players with, and what an important aspect of the game that is turning out to be, which we all know. If you are a listener of my podcast, uh, my belief in mindset and and uh, the mental toughness side of the game is. Uh, you know, it, it is imperative uh, to reach high levels and is imperative to reach your peak potential and your peak performance. So we do talk about that. We talk about million-dollar plays, which is really cool. I'm not going to tell you what that's all about. Um, but we talk about Darren Helm and the Detroit Red Wings, and there's lots of stuff that we cover here um, that is really juicy and lots of takeaways for, for you listeners out there. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. We, we got into a little bit about how Jared and I came into contact for this episode uh, which was on the heels of a, of a lunch that I had with an old teammate or a group of old teammates, um, from the Spokane chief days. Uh, I met Sean Byrne. He was a tough guy back with us in the Spokane, Spokane days. Jeremy Stasiak who was a line mate of mine, uh, for a couple seasons. And also Scott Townsend was there and, um, who is actually, I think the team dentist for the Calgary flames now. And, and I was in Calgary, uh, this past weekend and we were able to all get together for a lunch and it was just one of those uh, absolute feel good moments for me. And, uh, we, of course, you know, walked down memory lane and, and we, we, uh, we had a lot of laughs and shared a lot of stories and, and it really kind of exemplified for me what hockey has turned into and what it can be. And and that is like the value of teammates and the value of the relationships. And it is something that I talk on here a lot about, and we do talk about that, uh, in the discussion with Jarrett, just, the value of that and and how after all these years 30 years later from playing with these guys that we can sit around a table uh and go right back to that time in our lives as as late teens and in riding the buses and having the laughs and sharing the stories and there's just such a connection there that just does not go away so you younger players out there you know don't make it a solo mission uh I know I know there is a desire right to to be better to to be dedicated and to be consistent and to do all these things um, that you feel like maybe you're you're on your own, you're, you're, you're doing it by yourself, but uh, make sure that you include your teammates in your own journey because that is really the special piece that stays with you regardless of where your career ends up taking you. Um, if you do the game right and if you treat your teammates right, uh, that is something that will be with you. 30 years from now and uh and I was really happy to be to be with those guys but I do digress a little bit there in this lunch uh Scott Townsend um is friends with with Jarrett Bouquet and his name came up and what he's doing now and and I remembered uh that name from back in the junior days uh when he played with the Blazers and I was like well geez that would be a great guest to have on if he's willing to chat about uh about Titan and about what uh what the agent business looks like right now and and I think that my audience would would really love that discussion and so they There we are three days later. Jared is super easy to get a hold of and, and very accommodating with the, with his time. And we got it on the, on the docket and here it is uh, for you. So, Um, love hockey. (laughs) I can't say that enough. I'm so grateful for, for what it is that I get to do now and, and helping players with their, with their mindset and, and reaching their goals and dreams and, and, and just the ability that hockey has given me to have these relationships, uh, like the ones that I was just able to revisit over the weekend, uh, fantastic stuff, um, hockey is a great game and it can teach us great things and it can great, uh, bring some great people into our lives. So for all of you out there who are still playing it or are still involved in it, uh, use that gratitude muscle and flex it every time you get to step on the ice because it's a pretty special sport that we get to play. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Jarrett Bouquet from Titan Sports Management. And, uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one. All right, welcome to the podcast, NHL agent with Titan Sports Management and ex-Blazer, Mister Jarrett Bouquet. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, hey, man, uh, it's uh, it's so fun. Time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so fun. Like, and I'll just give a little precursor to to those listening. Like, I was in Calgary uh, for one of my boys' showcases. Right, so he's in the CSSHL out here in Western Canada, um, the U fifteen prep league and in doing that i'm also scouting for my umh 68 tournament which i've been talking about on social media and stuff and seeing seeing the players out there and, and as part of this whole gamut uh i was making phone calls on the way into calgary right uh as i'm sure you've done as an ex-player and so you know scott townsend and jeremy stasiak and sean byrne and some of these guys and anyways we got together for this lunch uh at, at earl's and anyway scott townsend who's next uh, buddy uh teammate of mine and a buddy of yours and then your name came up and uh, and now here we are like four days later, uh, talking on the phone and, and I made a post today, Jared and I, I, I maybe it's just cause it's so fresh for me. Like it was the picture of us, uh, from lunch and I was just kind of looking at, I mean, it was such an awesome lunch. I mean, you know how it goes, right? You get together with old, old guys and, and we were laughing and joking and, and, uh, and so looking at that picture, I'm like, you know what? Like that's, that's really like the best piece of hockey i mean of all the stuff and we want to score the goals and we want to get to these places but like it's it's the teammates and like the relationships that just outlast everything and is really the special piece of that is uh is that something you can you can agree with me on there
0: yeah 100 percent. it's funny because we played against each other whatever 30 years ago and all of a sudden in a month's time your name comes across my desk twice one actually my sister in vernon she goes oh i think i uh I'm sitting by your your buddy, Jason Padola, and I go, wait, we were buddies. I think, we, you know, when I was in Kamloops and we were, he was in Spokane. We were never buddies, but, you know, through buddies, like you mentioned a lot yeah. of names, you, you become buddies. You just know guys, you know, and you mentioned Scott Townsend's funny. He's the dentist. We played together. Well, we played against each other in Bantam. We played together at the University of Calgary, and uh, he's the dentist for the Flames now, and uh, I see him all the time, and... Just, you know, different guys you've played against over the years. And for every kind of superstar you can name, you can name 10 more guys that were just great guys. You have good memories, lots of laughs. And like you said, it's just riding the buses and having lunch with guys 30 years later. It's like a time warp. It just, it's like it happened yesterday. It's like, what? Did I just turn 50? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it told me I mean, you know what? And and it's like it's that's actually accurate. It was 30 years ago, like 1994, like we were there, you know. And yep. it's not like I haven't seen them since, like we have, you know, whatever, bumped elbows or whatever, but it was it was just like yesterday. And um God, like it, it was and then I mean you even talked about the fraternity of just being a hockey player, you know, like for you and I to be uh as comfortable as we are just shooting the shit together, right? Never yep. really have had a conversation before, but been part of that same ecosystem you know that same environment and uh and i don't know there's i don't know what it is about that but there's some there's some type of network that's like unspoken that it just seems easy you know to me it's it's
0: funny to say that because it's another guy that you play with brian mccabe i didn't know him but we had some wars against these guys but he's friends with scott towns and friends with this player and all of a sudden now he's in the business and we deal with each other. We talk all the time and it's, you know, we never grew up together. We never, it's like you said, it's a fraternity. It kind of, everybody takes care of each other. And, you know, you've seen it when a guy gets traded to a room, you know, there's always four or five guys that come up right away and just makes you feel comfortable. And then after that first game, now you've got 22 best buddies and it's, it's, I'm glad that uh, it's been passed down to the generations because you see the young kids and the, and how they operate and they're all, hanging out together and and playing and on the outdoor rinks and it's, you know, in the dressing room, it's fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a special piece of it. And you mean, we haven't talked much about what I do and we're going to talk about what you do, but like with me working with players and, you know, players with big goals and big dreams and, 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 you know, and want to get to where they want to go. I I think a lot of what we do probably overlaps in, in in some ways. Uh, but it, it can feel like it's a bit of a solo mission at times, you know, like trying to get somewhere, you know, that you're, you're climbing this mountain. And, and just again, looking at that picture, I'm like, holy crap. Like you can't, you can't treat it like that because the guys that you're there with, you kind of chasing that same dream at those, those are your greatest supporters at the end of the day. And those, those people are real special. And, um, you know, we can't, can't miss the forest of the trees, as you say, right. Like that's, that's yeah. really the special piece of it. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No. I think with social media too, everybody, you know, is the world is smaller, you know, everybody's drawn together. Everybody knows who's who and this player did this, this player did that. And it's funny, they all kind of support each other and they all know each other. So, you know, a player goes to camp or gets traded and all of a sudden, oh, I know this player or he's friends with him. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a small world. Great.
1: A little bit off topic, but it's a little bit of a ra- rabbit hole. like I was I was thinking and we were discussing it actually at that lunch kind of like what? You know what made it special or whatever we're talking about the bus trips even and comparing you're talking about comparing generations and and you're saying like a lot of it is the same and we were thinking about you know like there was maybe a tv on the bus when we were when we were going on these eight hour trips like sometimes and most time we weren't allowed to watch any videos or whatever there was no we i think we had walkmans or whatever so you could listen to music if you wanted to but other than that you were like reading a book or playing cards or talking with your teammates and it seems like maybe that aspect of like that kind of that camaraderie, almost forced, right? Forced camaraderie in some scenarios, um, I think is a pretty big factor. Uh, Do you think that was a big factor? Like the amount of actual time that we were spent together in front of each other where we had to, you know, make fun of each other or have conversations or whatever else we would be doing?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think I was watching a TikTok the other day in the Regina, Pat said it went through the different guys and it's like, oh, the guy with the music, oh, the guy with the TV, oh, the card playing guys. Well, that stuff was going on back then, I mean, we had a few guys just had Game Boys just got introduced and Walkmans and whatnot, and now I think it's different now, the fact you can kind of get away if you wanted to, you know, do your homework or if you wanted to, you know, talk to your parents or you wanted to watch a movie on your own. You can make the bus as big as you want, or you can narrow it down. Back in then, it's like if you know if Dumb and Dumber was on, you were watching it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
1: it was on. <laughs>
0: yeah, and uh, just the way you know you make fun of each other, and uh, like it's it's fine. I like to see that it hasn't changed that much. You know, guys yeah. are still ribbing each other, and guys communicate the same. And yeah, it's kind of funny. Um,
1: are you hearing a bit of a buzz on there right now?
0: Yeah. What are the odds this snow driver comes and the snow has been here for three days and the one on this he comes and decides to, to uh blow my driveway off
1: <laughs>
0: cut that off right i don't know if
1: i can do anything guy. about the sound to be honest That's i've been waiting funny.
0: for this guy to come for a week and now he's like the wow
1: okay that's okay is there is it does he have a lot of driveway there to do no he's done oh he's done okay sweet that's yeah. funny. um the other thing i was thinking of and and again i'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to this because i not that i was i mean i was tough enough but i wasn't a tough guy as you know we played against each other right like but everyone in that era was tough enough you know like tough enough to play in that era and and i and i akin it to like I've never even been remotely close to a war. I have no idea what that would be like. Uh but that type of camaraderie through a dressing room like seems relevant because there was battles. Like there's definitely battles that we were going and I I was just like reflecting on that like those those relationships of like why is it so tight? You know what I mean like what like why is it so tight? And um uh, and I thought that maybe that was part of it. Like, do you think that that is part of it? Not that these guys don't go to battle now, like they do, but like this, the actual idea that these guys really had to have your back. Like you had to have trust in that room.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, growing up in Cranbrook, British Columbia, I'd go down and watch the Spokane chiefs and Link Gates was playing. I mean, you know him and he's legendary. And, you know, I grew up with Scott Niedermeyer and we're watching the game going, we could maybe play in this league. Like I don't have the skill of Scott Niedermeyer. I'm going to take boxing lessons right now. So and I got back to Cranbrook, I mean, my dad had me in some boxing lessons. And, I mean, it was just more to defend yourself. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, an enforcer, or you know, but at 6'1", 6'2", 190 pounds, you're a middleweight. And if somebody touches Scott Nehemiah or any of these guys, you got to get in there. And, well, you know, next thing you know, I'm my second year in the league. I have 20 fights. I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't tough. I just, you just had to do it. Yeah, you know, and I remember even as a 16 year old going in the league, and the coach saying, "Hey, you know, I know you're not scared to fight, but it's probably time to get in one." I'm like, "This is game four <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my first exhibition game was a team on team brawl in Fernie. Oh, so wow. it, it's a different era. Uh, I think it's changed for the better. Yeah. I think the kids nowadays are equally tough, but in a different kind of toughness way. You know, they can have that battle and freedom, and without having to get in a fight. You know, yeah. um, I think, yeah, things have changed so much. You mentioned the word dinosaur, but I mean, the bottom line is in hockey and life. I guess is that you just got to outwork the other guy.
1: Yeah, you know, so, in whatever capacity that is, right? Yeah, for sure. I just, I, I just did like. Well, I shouldn't say I like at the time. You didn't even really know, but like even Towner was saying, like Scott Townsend was like, I just wasn't competitive <laughs> enough to be a hockey player. Like, I mean, <laughs> completely self-admitted, right? He's like, it was hard. You know, I mean, he's like, it was like to take that cross check. You know, to to go to the net, to go to that hard area, like night in and night out for seventy-two games. And in, in junior I'm talking now, and not pro, obviously there was more. Like it there took a, a level of mental toughness there that uh that I think we can be proud of to say that we could do it, you know. Um
0: Yeah, and I think he he kind of plays it down a bit. I mean, he still had, you know, he was still 100-point guy in the WHO, you have to be competitive to do that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. as much as he might not think he is, and mean he's, you know, successful dentists. I mean, some guys are intrinsically uh, competitive. Other guys just kind of do it quietly, and yeah. next thing you know, they're successful because, you know, they're competitive on the inside.
1: Yeah, how does that work? I mean, I, I want to get into – well, there's actually, there's two segues there. You talked about Scott and you know we should talk about the Blazers, but I, I, I like that idea of you just mentioning – how different people show up, you know, and, and, and in what you do being an agent, I know there's a big business side of, of, of being the agent and the contract and the negotiations and all that stuff. Um, but I imagine in this day and age that being an agent, you know, is understanding your people and also how to support them, you know, and, and the difference between the guy who's quiet, maybe the guy that needs some more touches, maybe somebody who's a little more independent. Uh, how big of a piece is that for you and what you're doing right now?
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's a huge piece. You know we try not to i mean these kids now they're so smart like they have they've had private coaches they've had private lessons they're all skilled they're all i mean back in the day you do a week of hockey school in the summer if you did two weeks you'd be worried about getting burnt out now i mean it's almost a year-long sport so these kids have knowledge they have um skill and then you've got to work with them you got to work with the parents and, and talk about what's the right path and then, yeah, the bottom line is just uh, starting to get serious about your job, Be being professional, being, you know, what works for this player might not work for that player. And, you know, I think coaches are smart that way too. I mean, I think back in the day they blanketed it and you did one way. Um, now I think coaches have to, you know, be a bit of psychology 101 what, different, what works for this player doesn't work for this player. Yeah. And, even when, you know, as an agent or advisor, when I'm talking to kids, <clears throat> I definitely have to approach things differently. You have to take in perspective what kind of coach does he have? What are his parents like? Does he need a support role more or does he need a positive, um, you know, or is he getting a little cushion? Is he going to need a kick in the ass? Because, I mean, you know, you played in the American League. Like, which 90% if you go on hockey have to play the 0.01% go right to the NHL, but the other guys have to spend time in Springfield and Lehigh Valley and uh, Manchester and all these towns. Like, what happens then? You know, that's when the mental side has to get, you know, um, has to kick in, and it, it it has to start at a young age too. You know, like parents tell their kids, and you've heard it before, don't get some of the best advice is, you know, don't get too high. Don't get low, too low. You've heard that it, a lot and it, it gets back to that.
1: You just mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. What, uh, yeah, what, I love some of the sayings. Like that's a, that's a totally great one where I find that it kind of gets lost or at least maybe why I have a job is, uh, it's like, how do you execute that? Like, how does a young player who's 18 years old listening to that, maybe trying to do that accomplish yep. that you know what i mean yep. like is that something that you you guys get into um like the specifics or is that more sports psychology-esque
0: uh if it gets there are some specifics well we have a camp um in calgary and we touch on it and talk about it but it's up to the player um parents are a great uh resource as well so when we manage a player we now if you get to that level if you're that one percent of you're showing potential now it's a business more so than it was in the old days. It's like you've got the player who is the, the entity and you have to work as a team with the parents and the agent. So we have to, and and we don't use, we don't say, oh, I work for you. Like it's we work for, together to get, you know, the player to the next level. So we have to make sure when we get a client at a young age, the parents have to be on board with us and and vice versa because they know little johnny better than we do so he is going to listen to the parents if he gets benched or gets a suspension and now the parents are saying oh that's the ref screwed him this and that and we're going no you're going to have to learn from this mistake and we're telling probably they're going to listen to the parents and decide we're getting screwed here yeah. <laughs> so we'll call even at the nhl level i've talked to parents and it's like are you sending this play the right, me- this message. And the parents will say to me, I'm just telling them this, just keep working, play hard. I was like, okay, I'm going to send them that same message. So it has to be the same message. And getting down to that, the specifics and the mental side, it's tough because nowadays kids kind of know where they're going to play before the season starts a lot, yeah. right? Like you've, if, especially with Academy hockey, you've signed up, you've paid, you know, you're playing at OHA or edge or Burnaby winter club. So sometimes that desperation gets lost, right? You know, sometimes, so I think parents have to, you know, just keep parenting, let them fail, let them just be supportive, especially get to the higher levels. All you can really say is, you know, keep working hard, stay positive. Things will change and don't get too high. Don't get too low things that, you know, but these kids it's tough, you know, and uh, there's an older agent. We bought his company years ago in 2005 and he used to say, You can't put an old man's head on a young person's body, right? And these young guys, they're going to have to go through a lot of that themselves. In other words, they're going to have to get that experience, play a lot, and then get on autopilot a little bit in that regard, know what works, what doesn't, and and learn a lot through playing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, it's interesting you talk about that whole uh, people know where they're playing, right? Like, like it's... it is so, like, sometimes the first time they try out for anything is like an NHL team now. Like, right. really, you know, like everything's been paved that way. And and Cutter Goche came to mind, and I have no idea. I'm not in Cutter Goche's mind, and I don't even know if, if you, if you represent him or not. I, I didn't do that work. But, like, it seemed like, from the outside looking in, that Philadelphia didn't say, when you sign, you're going to come here. It sounded like he said, when you sign, you're going to make the team or need to make the team. Uh, and that was maybe a bit of a problem him (laughs) you know and he didn't want to go down that route it's just kind of interesting because it has been such a like the environment has been a bit more secure but as you know like pro is there's nothing secure about it at all um at at least not until you get these no trade moves which is well far into your career so for these young guys it's a pretty tough uh tough apple to bite into Sometimes,
0: yeah no that's 100 percent, and it's the funniest story i tell at our camp Um, You know, we represented Shea Weber and and during that time of free agency and and five, six years ago, you were allowed to go do that week and spend time going to different teams and going to different organizations and seeing what they're about and see what, you know, what the coach is about, what managers like, what ownership's like, what uh, the city's like, what the team's like. So you could go and do that before July 1st. So we had the um, opportunity to go visit Mr. and Mrs. Illich you know, one of the first American billionaires at their house. And, uh, you know, Mr. Illich, so and I pulled up to the house and it's it's a huge place out in uh, outskirts of Detroit. And surprisingly surprising not a fence around it, but it, it was just a big, nice house. And, you know, it was a breakfast meeting, actually. A lot of meetings, we'd have dinner meetings or, you know, in a private room. We went to his house. It was in the morning. He had a chef there and he came and he answered the door in his suit. And then Mrs. Illich, who's tiny, she's about five feet tall. Yeah. She looked at Shay and she kind of was like, wow, and just like literally patted him down like a quarter horse. And was like, you know, I'm like, uh <laughs> and uh, so we had we had a really nice breakfast. And I said to Mrs. Illich, because you know, the dread the Red Wings are one of the, you know, storied franchises, uh, successful. And I said, What's been the secret of of you know your players in the Detroit Red Wings? And she just said, I we look for everydayers. And I kind of paused, and she goes, we want guys that just show up to work every day. She goes, Steve Eiserman, every dare. Chris Chelios, every dare. Uh, Darren McCarty, every dare. He went on, we had Darren Helm at the time, and she goes, and he goes, Darren Helm is in every dare, and we want a guy like Shea Weber because he's an every dare. And then later I heard through some of the players that she would have a party once a year, you know, and be sipping on her bourbon and having a cigarette, and it'd be midnight, and the guys are kind of, you know, she'd get up to go to the bathroom. They'd get up, okay, well, we better go. And she's like, sit down. And they'd be like, okay. And then at 6.30 in the morning, next day, she was first in the office. So I'm going, you know, there's a novel idea. Show up to work every day. And I tell that at our camp every year. Yeah, It's not a big secret. Come to work every day. Show up early. It's no different than the person that works at uh, I, IBM or, like, any walk of life, those people are successful and it's no different in hockey. There's no secret sauce. There's good coaches and, and, and now with academies, um, you know, they, they get there early, they get to practice, they have good coaching. They can shoot later. They can be in the weight room. If you do that, you do it every day, you're going to have success. And so I thought that was a, a fun side story with the, yeah. That's fantastic.
1: So many connections there too. Like one, uh, Darren Helm. So you, Darren. So I went to Japan, came back, and kind of had like a renewed lease on my hockey life. And like, you know what? I should still play, and I still, and I, I, still believe that I could play in the NHL. I was at thirty. Uh, happened to know Ken Holland. Uh, Mike Babcock was coaching Detroit at the time, and who I played for, as you know, in Spokane. So like, there was yeah. a connection there. And uh, and they said, yeah, come try out. Like they had a couple spots were actually available on the on the Red Wings roster, and so mm-hmm. went uh, went to Michigan there for for camp. And and Helmer Darren Helm was my centerman like at, at oh. camp. So and that was his rookie camp. So they had just drafted him. And I think he was a first rounder. And so for for majority of camp, I was I was his right winger and. Anyways, he went on, obviously, and still is having a phenomenal career, and it was it was fun to be a part of that. Uh, so interesting connection there. But I also tell the story of being at that camp quite often. when I'm, you know, wherever doing doing uh, my my keynotes or whatever about the culture of that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I love your th- I love what they're saying there with the everydayers. I, mean, I think that that is a really good indication of what was going on there, like the Thomas Holmströms and the and the Datsiks and the Hasiks and the Linds. Like all the stars were guys that would just keep be showing up and it was also just a really comfortable place to be like it was you know guys inviting you to golf go you know go to go to a restaurant guys that were like trying to help you in practice to be better like not trying to make you not make the team you know like they were they were comfortable enough to try and make everyone be their best you know and i think when i think about darren helm and boy you could probably speak to this obviously better than anyone but like to be a young guy in that environment where like the veterans are legitimately pulling for you and you feel a part of it, like, wow, is that a difference maker? And not yeah. every NHL team is like that. I can tell you that right now.
0: No, no. And that speaks a lot to the culture in, in Detroit. And you can see with the uh, eyes being back there, how they're making those changes and how they are. And they're looking for those everyday players and just those guys that'll come and work their ass off every day. Yeah. Actually, funny story about Darren Helm. So, you know, back to some connections with Scott Townsend and all these guys. So when I was uh, younger, Willie Desjardins had recruited me to come to the University of Calgary. And later on, he took off to Japan. And then, as you know, he was coaching the Tigers. So I think it was my first or second year in business in 2000. We started the company in 2001. Um, So, you know, in those days, it's like, you know, we would say we're just going to, Our motto was, like, be in back pockets, get to the rink. Like, nothing bad can happen and go into the rink. So it was a Wednesday night. I didn't have any players on the Tigers. I didn't have, you know, I think they were playing Swift Current. It was a Wednesday snowy night. I just decided from Calgary, I drove down to Medicine Hat, and I just got there early. I watched warm-up, and I see this guy just buzzing. I mean, this kid was flying. And I look, in it's helm, and I go, I haven't heard of this kid, and, you know, i got to watch him. And I just noticed he's the hardest working guy. He was the fastest guy and he's on the fourth line. And I go to Willie. So I'm like, wow, like this kid, I mean, you know, I got to go talk to Willie about this. And Willie goes, you know what? He's, he's uh, like from St. Andrews, Manitoba. He's, he's just a hardworking guy. He'll be on my first line by Christmas. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, do you want to meet his parents? And I go, I'd love to meet his parents. So after the game, Willie in, introduces me to Mr. And Mrs. Helm. And, uh, I said, you know, I see Darren, I see a lot of potential. We, you know, we're starting off this company. We'd like to work with him. And the parents were just like, well, this is Darren's career. Why don't you take him for dinner and see if this is a fit? And I'm like, wait, what? Okay. So, uh, you take him up to Earl's, you know, the Earl's in medicine hat. He's had a few, uh, Dinners there, I'm sure, as every Western League guy has over the years. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting there talking with Darren, he's quiet. And Daryl Sutter walks in and he says, Oh, hey, Jared, how are you, you doing? And we start chatting. I introduce him to Darren Helm. Darren Helm, uh, Daryl Sutter leaves. I go, You know who that is? He goes, No, I have no idea. I was like, That's the head coach of the Calgary Flames and the general manager of the Flames. He's like, Oh, I didn't know that. And to this day, NHL guys make fun of Helmer, of how little he knows about the NHL. He's got his wife, his three daughters, and uh, it goes to the ring because if it's beer league, he couldn't name 10 NHL players. (laughs) So anyways, getting back, he he just kept improving. And honestly, well, back to he was a fifth-round draft pick into the NHL. So he just kept steadily improving. And, you know, um, Mike Babcock, he used to give show videos of not just Helmer's second efforts on pucks, but his third and fourth efforts. He, he used to show this penalty kill of Helm um, and, you know, the third effort, the fourth effort. Never mind second effort. He would be going in the third effort, the fourth effort. So I think uh, Willie, I think Darren Helm is probably one of Willie's all-time favorite players. And uh, we keep in touch. I mean, I remember he... He had a great career in Detroit, and Steve Eisman said, "Hey, he like he really wants to win." Helmer won the uh, Stanley Cup in his first year, and you know, when you're young, you think you're going to win it again. And so he he gets they traded from the Colorado Avalanche, and when they won the Stanley Cup, it was one of the most uh, rewarding moments for me because you know, as agents, we don't get thank you cards, and like maybe his coaches do, but you know, they get the contract and yeah. that. But I called there and. Uh, just when they won the Stanley Cup, they were in the dressing room, I was going to wait for it to go to voicemail. And he answered the phone in the dressing room, and he's like, thanks for, like, getting me here, and I didn't think this was going to happen, and we just kind of, you know, had that moment. And I was like, that is one of the most rewarding moments I've ever had, is to see Helmer, who comes from nowhere, um, winning Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings, and again with the Colorado Avalanche, and what was his secret hard work? Like, I'd ask him what he would do in a summer training. He'd go, well, I'd go to my cabin, and I'd walk outside and run as fast as I can that way for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then run 45 minutes to an hour back. I mean, this guy is a beauty. He, uh, Kevin, my business partner, and I we were in Vegas one time, and he, you know, probably fifth or sixth year pro. He had money. He shows up in Vegas to meet his buddies from Medicine Hat. Well, they didn't have a hotel booked. They didn't have any shows booked. They had no, night, no nightclubs booked. I was like, Helmer. This isn't St. Andrews, Manitoba anymore. You can't just go around Vegas without any hookups. But that's just the way Helmer is, and he'll never change. And he's he's definitely uh, one of my favorite guys over the years.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we brought him up. I mean, 800 game NHL career from a f- fourth, fifth round pick. So yeah. that actually makes more sense. Because why would they put a first rounder with me in their first training camp? So that, that actually, <laughs> that probably that's totally indicative. So a fifth rounder playing with me, and and he went on to like. Yeah. Like what a, what a career. And I love that you you mentioned that because for my audience and for my listeners, uh, when I'm, when I'm talking with players, one of the things we talk about again and again and again is something that I call, I call it competitive spirit. And, and that idea is like, I think it's a little different than, than hard work. Like I think hard work is kind of, you know, most guys work hard at least to get to a puck or into a battle, but it's like, what happens then? you know like what happens in that moment and and that's where competitive spirit shows up i think and when you talk about the second third fourth fifth efforts like that's something that's noticeable by anyone right like it doesn't matter how great your hands are how hard you shoot a puck like when you you can impact every shift with that level of competitive spirit and um And it's noticeable even at the NHL level. Like, I love that you're bringing that up. So, like, imagine these junior guys coming up or even these Bantams now coming up. Like, to be able to exhibit that, like, you are going to catch someone's eye. And it's a great thing to focus on, in my opinion, when it comes to their own personal development.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think people talk about that enough, maybe. Like, it's, you know, you get back to some of those players that are smaller in the NHL to this day, you know, but their compete level is off the charts. And the mental preparation. And I mean, even as these, these young guys, you know, to play triple A hockey nowadays, I think it's different. I mean, you know, when we played back in the day, you'd have two practices a week. These guys are on every day. And so just for these kids to understand, like you can improve so much in practice, like don't, you know, I was lucky when I was growing up and, you know, my dad was, uh, was a coach in Cranbrook and produced a lot of players, but he, yeah let's get back to the practice doesn't make perfect you know yeah. perfect practice like you keep going hard i mean even those teams and camels we had darcy tucker would be in your face every second he'd be fighting guys and i mean Done is the nicest guy there is but i mean he was like so intrinsically competitive uh you know nita he was quietly competitive he wasn't gonna lose a battle to you ever I mean, he didn't look like he was trying. It's just that he was better than everybody, but, uh, you know, so, you know, I look at the coaches and how they push kids nowadays to, to uh, you just got to, you know, they're on the ice so much, but if kids nowadays can just have that mindset is like, I'm not just going to show up to practice. I have to get 1% better. We talked about that at our camp at all, you know, with our pro guys and our young guys here.
1: to take a short break from the discussion with Jarrett to tell you about the UMH 68. So this is something that is consuming a lot of my time right now. Uh, not only during like the work days, uh, but also on the weekends as, as I am tracking down and searching for the best players in British Columbia, uh, in the age group of 2010 and 2011. Uh, the UMH 68 was something that was spawned last year. Uh, it was just sort of on a whim, to be completely honest. We were leaving a provincial camp, and I just thought that there was quite a few holes in, in what we were looking at and what we were just participated in. And I thought that, you know what, we need to bring the top players together for a development, educational, competitive showcase, where these players can get together from all leagues, whether it be sanctioned or unsanctioned hockey, and give them a weekend to remember, where they can all play on Different teams with different players where they can have NHL alumni coaches or professional coaches in some cases be behind their bench where they can be educated, uh, in workshops and where they can get to meet each other and build these relationships and, and become better people, things that I'm super passionate about. And, and within the span of 30 days last year from like this idea to do this, to identify these top players, to bring them together and to Vernon, British Columbia, uh, we were able to go from ideation to execution and it was uh, an absolute fantastic event. The proof of concept is there. Um, we, we had a blast uh, hosting it and the players had a blast being involved in it. It really was a player first experience and a parent first experience much more than just playing hockey. Uh, and the hockey was competitive and awesome. So this year we're expanding. I'm doing the 2010s minor bantams and also major Peewee. Uh, so that would be second year Peewees and, uh, And yeah, we're, we're searching, you know, I've been watching tournaments. I've been going to games. I've been watching the stats sheets. I've been talking to managers and coaches and doing research and using my network within British Columbia to, uh, find who are the top players and get them the invites that they have deserved throughout the, throughout this season. Uh, so we can host this tournament in June. So, uh, really excited about that. UMH 68 on my website. If you want to check the, underneath the showcases tab, there's also a Facebook uh, page, UMH 68 invitational uh, that is up on facebook and invitations have been rolling out so it is quite a collection process to find not only to identify the players but to also find the emails of the parents much more difficult than you might expect um, so a lot of work goes into that and if you are somebody who has a player uh in british columbia and would like to be added to the watch list um I think we do a really good job of identifying the players, but of course there are a lot of players playing hockey in a lot of different places, nooks and crannies. And, uh, if you want to be added to the watch list to be considered, uh, for the UMH 68 invitational, then by all means, please submit your name to the watch list and we will do our best to get out and have some eyes on you and be watching you. Um, but yeah, and this is going to be expanding, uh, up my hockey faithful, uh, definitely are we're, we're trying to move into Alberta and Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, uh, Potentially may still happen this year. We're going to see if we can pull that off, but uh, this is going to be an exgr- ex, uh, growing, ex- expanding franchise, which I'm really excited about. So, uh, definitely going to have some announcements uh, on my social media channels. That's at Jason Podolan on Instagram. If uh, if you don't follow me already there, it's at Jason Padolan. We'll be talking about the UMH68 and the invitees and, and who's already committed, as we have some commitments rolling in and. Uh, And yeah, on my YouTube channel and also on the Facebook group there. So be watching out for the UMH 68. It's something that I'm super excited about and uh, being bigger, better, and badder than even last year was. So uh, yeah, really, really excited. I just wanted to share that with you, uh, that that's in the cards from UMH. And uh, we are expanding. So now let's get back to the podcast with Jarrett Bokeh.
0: Everybody, you know, you watch these Hall of Fame speeches, and you, they think they they're minor hockey coaches. They think that's the best coach they've ever had, not this coach or this coach. It's like, well, it's because he didn't know anything about hockey. <laughs> your trajectory was like this. Yeah. So, yeah, you're thanking your minor hockey coach because he didn't know anything. You know, we always say, like, at the young age, like, the best players, not only are the best hardest workers, but they're the best listeners. Yeah. You know, listen to your coaches because you know, you don't know anything about hockey yet. And if you can listen and learn and not be told five times and you have the work ethic and now you put the, start putting things together, it gets exciting, then you have a prospect.
1: Yeah, there's some humility involved in that. I mean, you do say the best players. I think that that can change, though, when the best players don't have the humility to, to, be, to listen, right, to be coachable. And I'm well, sure you've seen that too.
0: Well, the best players in the world are still coachable.
1: But you better be
0: right, yeah. You know, like you you can't mess around with, you know. Or gets back to sending the right message, you know. And you got to be careful because, like you said, it's like a fraternity; it's an old boys club. We joke around. It's like the mafia. You can't get a late start, and and people that come in that are, you know, late or not knowing what they're talking about get weeded out pretty quickly. Yeah, and so I agree. I think you know I was talking with Glenn Gallatin the other day. Uh, in Edmonton, he, he said exactly that. He's like, McDavid's very coachable, but you, you better be right. Like, you know, you don't need to bring up certain points. He knows that he knows more than anybody. He's the smartest player in the world, but he's for sure coachable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no good. So I'll just separate. I, definitely, I mean, the Sydney Crosby's; those guys get there. Even like Nate, Nate McKinnon, right? Like coachable enough to change his <laughs> mindset, his mental approach to, to change his diet, right? Like these guys yeah. are coachable, massively skilled players, yeah. uh, but still have a team that that they take advice from. I was more referring to like the top bantam player, maybe right now, oh, right. Yeah. That, you know, that is getting, that has got on on size, has got on on skill. There hasn't really been much adversity. Yeah, I mean, no one, and and kind of feels like he's got the world by the tail and maybe isn't coachable enough to continue to improve. You know, that's more where I was talking about, like allowing that humility to come in at that age. So you continue to get better.
0: Yeah. And that's a good point. Like, I think the best players and the best young guys are still very, like they're open to, they might look at you and go, you don't know what you're talking about, but at least they're like, yes, sir. Okay. And, um, uh, so, yeah, the, the message, I guess, to that young Bantam players is that you haven't, I mean, we had a coach out to our camp. I won't mention his name, but, uh, you know, we have some superstar young guys. This is a few years ago and we're, you know, it's the middle of summer. We don't want to kill the guys, but they're floating around, not making passes. Well, he smashed his stick, brought them all in because you guys are all top Bantam picks. How many games have you played in the NHL? Let's raise our hands. <laughs> not one kid did, right? They go, so you don't know shit. Listen up. And he, I'm like, I'm going, this is our top clients, young guys. He just rips them. In. <laughs> They're going, who's this old guy? And uh, it, was, it was a great message. It was pretty funny. But I think, you know, those. you were there. You were a young superstar bantam. And as soon as you get to, you know, you went to Spokane, the, the culture in the dressing room, if you're cocky, arrogant, it, you know, they get, it gets nipped in the butt pretty quick.
1: Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, a lot of times yeah, the right room will take care of that for yeah. you, for sure. Oh yeah. Um yeah. which is maybe a little I mean another another tangent I don't want to go up on but some of these teams that are in the rebuilding phase in the NHL level and they have all these young guys that are there and there's not really an accountability from the hierarchy of some of these older players to keep them in line a little bit. Like uh that's tough because you know I mean yeah, that, that whole culture thing is fascinating to me, like watching how that develops and and who is accountable to who and and, and who really calls the shots. But anyway, they don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But um, I do want to touch on the everyday thing, though, and isn't that a – because we were talking about mental toughness a little bit too. It, it, like showing up every day is a mental toughness trait, isn't it? It's crazy because
0: 95% of these guys, if they're going to go on, will probably play in the American Hockey League. Yeah. That is the you play there. It is tough. It's a grind. You play three and threes. It's miserable. Some you're playing friends and family night. You might get a hat trick, not get called up. This player gets, and it gets back to control what you can control. Like, uh, I, I just remember talking with Nicholas Yarmelson in Rockford. And he's just, I mean, that guy was, a, he's a great defenseman. He's got three Stanley Cups. And he's like, Jared, it's such a grind every day. And I was like, "Well, just stick with it, kid." Like he was young at those at that time. He was just stick with it. Like just getting back to control what you can, which is your work ethic. And so my business partner Kevin Up and I went down there, and he was just playing the right way. He wasn't trying to dangle guys. He wasn't. He was playing physical. He's a defenseman, tight gap. Well, he's up, and then he carved a niche, blocking shots, getting pucks out, doing little things. I mean, he's a f- over five million dollar year player just playing the right way. But I remember him saying, it's just such a mental grind. And, you know, even dealing with our NHL guys right now, I mean, on TV, it looks like they're, you know, everything's going great, but they have an everyday grind too, as you know. I mean, you played in the NHL and played a long time every day. It's just such a grind. And I'm shocked even with superstar guys, you're talking to them and they're going, it's just tough. It's just, it's just a grind. Well, you have to focus.
1: High performance is a grind. I mean, to be perfectly honest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a grind associated with that. And this is the client call that I had before we were talking about. We were talking about um, the ability to overcome that. And whether it be the exterior environment, Jared, like the the idea of like, you mean, 82 games, 72 games, the bus rides, the practices, like that aspect is a grind. But there's also the grind of like the guys in the minors of that mental voice, right? Like, mm-hmm what are you doing this for? I mean, you're going to be here forever. You're not good enough. Why aren't you there already? Look at so-and-so, right? Like there's all that noise that can come internally. And the thing is, if you can keep showing up every day, despite that voice. And I think a lot of players think that, okay, if I have that voice, I must not be ready, but that voice exists for everybody. It's just, what do you do about it? Right? Do you still keep showing up? Do you still keep going there to play the game? And I, I think that's an interesting way to think about mental toughness. A lot of times we don't think of it that way, but I I love you bringing that up that if you have the ability to get there and to put in the work, despite of all the reasons not to, I think you're, you're doing a lot better than most.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think when young guys, what we'll do is sit down with them and break it up, break the season up into, you know, maybe eight game segments or month long segments. Let's get through September, like September, you got to show up at camp there. You can't start slow. You got to start strong and finish stronger and you gotta go in there and get a job. That's number one. You gotta get through exhibition game one game at a time. But you know, especially if you're a veteran, maybe you don't want to play exhibition game. You gotta change your mindset to like this helps my timing. Then you gotta break in the month of September. Let's just go at eight games. Let's just you know, and then you break it down. You set goals. And I think when younger kids set some goals, then it's it makes it a little bit easier. So in other words, if you have you know. These kids now they're getting licenses and there's parties and the cars. Well, a young guy, he can look at my goals, set it out. Well, I have this goal. I want to play in the Western League at 16. Is going to this party helping me two nights before the game? Probably not. Let's make it simple yeah. and just kind of dumb it down a little bit. Keep things very, very simple. There's a lot of distractions now. So you, you know, some of our guys, and it's not, I think back in our day, working with a sports psychologist, it wasn't a thing now i bet you 90 percent work with a mental coach a sports psychologist i mean if you look at some of the other sports my daughter played high level national level tennis and whatnot it's like you go to you go to you go hit then you go to fitness and then you go to mental every day i mean golf and tennis are different but um actually one of the i lived in dallas for many years one of the tennis coaches was working with the, some of the dallas stars players on you know, in tennis, you, after each point, you reset. You you clear it and then go. Much like in golf, every time you go to the tee box, you reset. Well, he was working with players to go to the bench, do a reset. Do you have a routine when you go to the bench? Am I going to flush that shift? You know, what's my change? sip of water? Go, now I'm ready to go. You know, same with, um, you know, yeah, the mental side. It's, 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 uh. Pretty much everything i mean i think they used to say it's oh it's 90 mental it's probably 99. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a lot it's a lot that's for sure what uh so your experience in Kamloops? so i mean it's so, so everyone listening jared played uh i think four four years there uh maybe five uh oh yeah so four i got your yeah, four years in Kamloops. yeah four years yeah. in Kamloops, and that was during the like the glory days essentially um, I mean, yeah, like <laughs> but Mario cups yeah. and like great players. And you mentioned a few of them already. I mean, Shane Doan, a uh, hall of famer and Darcy Tucker, who is a long time, uh, player, Scott Niedermeyer, you know, I mean, great, great talent coming out of there and championships and all the rest of it. What, what did that experience do for you, uh, provide you in what you're doing now? How do you think that helped shaped, shaped you as a person and and, and how you're a better agent because of it? I think it shaped me a lot,
0: you know, moving away at 16 years old. I was lucky because, you know, well, lucky and unlucky. Scott Niedemar was the other six-year-old defenseman, so unlucky on the ice time part as much. You're never going to play as as much as him. But lucky in the sense, you know, I had some great coaches. Ken Hitchcock was coaching, you know, at the time. He he was ahead of his time as far as, you know, doing research and how we were coached, how we played, uh, details, things I hadn't, you know, thought or done with before. And then, yeah, for every star player you mentioned there, there's, there's another 10, 15 guys that were just carrying the water the whole time that, uh, that contributed to all those wins and, and, you know, um, but shaping me, out the, the coaching, the bus, the travel, the, I always say, when you come out of the Western hockey league, you have a degree. So if you go on to school, now you get a degree you have two degrees because you just learned how to be on time for buses, how to respect your elders, how to, you know, when you don't want to play, in Moose Jaw, and minus 108, and the other guys, <laughs> you know, you don't want to carry the bu- the sticks up the uh, up the crushed can there on that one side, and getting shit kicked in Brandon at the end of a two week road swing, and um, it just yeah, it just prepares you. You're doing things you're not not normal sixteen year olds are doing. You're away right. from home. You're with billets. You, you, time management was a big thing and then just the example of the other players and how they handled themselves like you know that we didn't they just guys wanted to be players guys took care of themselves we didn't have a bunch of we had a lot of great guys uh, good people on and off the ice the culture in Kamloops in the in those days was you know they were very strict on us you know we weren't allowed to break curfew they do the old call at 11 o'clock at night trick and then you hang up and then five minutes later they call back oh sorry wrong number just to make sure you didn't sneak out and <laughs> ken hitchcock was famous for going around and feeling the hoods of people's car that story is true to see if guys were out and um actually even when we won the memorial cup uh tom rennie was like any you underage guys if we catch you for with a beer like you won't be back and we're just he just made you think you know Right. They were very strict on schooling so you know you heard back in those days that they didn't care that off school well if I was five minutes late like two minutes late for class they would have heard about it and I wouldn't practice so you just had, everything was kind of buttoned up and I was lucky that Scott Niedermeyer was 16 going on 30 and much more mature than all of us because he was an academic all-canadian so we're like oh this guy's getting straight A's we better pay attention in school too. Right. But we had some smart guys, the 16-year-old kids there that uh, Jeff watchhorn has gone on to be a super successful guy. He was a straight-A student. Dale Masson, God rest his soul. Uh, he was a straight-A guy. Lance Johnson, I think, is a principal. So there I am just trying to survive in hockey. I'm trying to get Bs, never mind
1: As. <laughs> yeah, You know what? That's a great point. I mean, even looking at life in that aspect, you know, going back to my lunch, you know, like Towner team dentist you know like Stasier is a uh, you know high up in the in the oil and gas same with Sean Byrne like these a lot of guys maybe not ever got paid a dollar to play hockey uh, but through that Western Hockey League education as you call it you know like you, you learn a lot yeah I mean not only about life but about yourself and what you're capable of and uh, the value of team you know like there's so many things that are, that are just inherent in that journey that i think we we kind of don't recognize it at the time but it sure serves us well you know moving forward
0: oh 100 i one of my good friends in town darren DeChamps, he's a su- super successful guy in the oil and gas world he played on that moral cup team with shea weber and josh georges and duncan keith and those guys he, i mean he's a very successful guy he was a client of ours in the in the minors but This whole Calgary is ran by ex-Western Hockey League guys. They're all hired on the spot with, you know, if they go to school or not. And the whole oil sector is ran by ex-WHL guys that can, you know, return phone calls, show up on time and work their ass off. Because, you know, Paul Cruz here, who saved my life, by the way, against Kerry Toporowski. Thanks, Cruiser. Um, But, uh, you know, he's a successful guy in the oil Business here, ex Calgary Flame. Just, you know, I think all these guys, they learn those lessons at a young age. If you show up late to work, we'll replace you right now.
1: Yeah. You know, good for you. I mean, I love, I love your, even your origin story of, you know, just starting out and and making that trip down to Medicine Hat. I mean, that's a, I mean, I'd call that a hockey thing. I mean, obviously it exists outside of hockey, but that is something that, that we kind of learned, you know, just from being a part of the process. And, um, and then you landed Helmer. W- 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 at what point in your whole, like, in your origin story, was did the agent thing come to mind and, hey, this is something that I might be good at or something that I should pursue?
0: Yeah, I was starting to think about it a little bit at 20, just because I had an oh, agent. and You know, he was a bigger guy at the time. And in those days, it was different. You didn't get an agent or representatives. I mean, we talked about it. Scott Niedermeyer didn't get one agent talk to him until he put 65 points up in the Western League. Now we're getting them before the Bantam Draft, because, you know, there's a lot of advisors out there that, you know, will talk to them at a young age. So um, I was thinking about it a little bit at 20. Um, I think uh, I was planning to do things a little bit differently. And then I got to give credit, actually, to my business partner, Kevin Epp. He was playing in that uh, Western Pro League, and he was playing with the Phoenix Mustangs. And... Um, kind of going and learning about contracts in the afternoon at a law firm out of Phoenix. And then he called me up. We, I think we bumped into each other at the Stampede or something, and uh, he said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. We should do it together. And I said, I'd love to. I think I, I just signed in Germany. So I was like, I'm going back for one more year, but let's keep in touch. So that year he played, was learning contracts. And then when I came back, so I was playing over in Germany, and... Um, yeah, I had an injury and I just, I was, you know, when it's time, it's time. And I had a lot of interest. I, had, I finished my degree uh, in kinesiology and, and took a lot of business courses. So I had a lot of other interests. I wasn't making any money in Germany playing hockey in those days. I mean, it was okay, but not yeah. something. I just went there to have an experience and have some fun. And so then we started Titan Sports in the spring of 2001. Um, we had a lot of connections. Um you know, we didn't actually, with the my brothers, Scott and Rob, they knew we joined the business. We didn't want to pressure them, even though we grew up with those guys. And they kind of said, Hey, if you're in this business th- in three years, come talk to us. Kind of. And so it's three, four, three years later, three, four years later that they jumped on board and then things kind of snowballed from there. But what I really wanted to do is, and, and no, not having to go at my old agent or it's just the way things were. You would get guys that are ready to sign a pro contract. And then if they didn't, that was that. That's fine. That's what now it's, as we're getting them younger, it's about uh, development and about, you know, a mentorship and keep them on the right path. I think back in the day when you played and I played the best kid at 11 and 12 was probably not the best kid at 13, not the best kid at 14 and for sure not at 15. Now you're seeing the best kids at 11 are the best kids at 12, are the best kids at 13. And it's because the parents now have these resources like yourself and like um, sports psychologists and coaches, and and they, they pay a lot of money. So little Johnny's on this path, and he's going to this academy. Well, in the summer, he's hanging around these five or six guys, and we're controlling it, and we're paying for their summer training. I bet you, you probably didn't pay for a summer trainer. I didn't. I worked out with my buddy at the right. you know, gym in Cranbrook, and so everything is like you, you want to keep them on this trajectory. So yeah, the best kids are the best kids at 14, 15. So we recognizing that a little bit long ago. I think we were probably the first agency to start a development camp. In fact, I know we were because uh, it was just me running ice sessions for eight, ten guys. Then it got right. bigger. Then word of mouth got, and then I was like, we got to hire coaches. So then we had a, you know, a camp, a full-on training camp, three, four day four or five days of, like, learning. And yeah. now it's so advanced, we kind of churns itself. But, it, you know, a former teammate, uh, Ryan Hosker who I played with in Catlin's Coach of the Flames, he's come out and, and talked about his experiences. And Willie Desjardins come out and Medicine Hat. He's coached in Dallas. So we'll have different NHL coaches come in and talk to guys. Like, hey, if you're in this room with Titan Sports guys, you have a chance to play. You know, and so you better be doing these things and you better, you know, oh, it's up to you. I mean, my, even back in the day, my dad used to always say, if if you're doing the work and he's not, when you meet, the likelihood of you winning is better than him. If you're doing the work and he's not, and gets back to that everyday thing. If yeah, you okay. want to do the work, it's all there for you. I mean, parents now are paying for, um, you know, trainers and, and all these kind of things. And now I think it's, it's, that, what we're talking about is that mental. You, you need to be training your mind just as much or more than uh, the private skills uh, lesson.
1: Hey there. I'm going to take a quick break from the discussion to remind you Spotify listeners uh, that I just found out about this. They actually have a place to rate the podcast. So yeah, if you go into your app, it's like the three buttons uh, below the title, you press on the three the three little dots. I shouldn't say three buttons. The three dots icon um, below the title on the far right of the screen, and up uh, one of the options will be rate show, and it's just super easy. You don't even have to. There's no place to even leave comments. It's just one to five stars. So if you are a a Spotify listener, that would be a great way to just say thanks and to support the show uh, in an easy uh, zero cash way to, uh, support what we got going over here at, uh, at Up My Hockey with the podcast. And of course, uh, I know the majority of you listen on Apple, on an Apple device or, uh, at the Apple podcast place that <laughs> I don't even know what it's called because I'm not an Apple, uh, user anymore, but, uh, that is kind of the traditional place where you can rate it five stars and where you can also leave uh, some type of comment about the program. So, yeah, I mean, if you are one of those people that has been a listener or listened to a couple episodes episodes and, and, hasn't done that, that's always a great way, uh, for me to say, uh, you know, or to say thank you, you know, to the program and to the guests and and to uh to the time and effort that goes into producing these shows for you guys that is hopefully supporting your hockey journey and is supporting your hockey player potentially um getting where they want to go and and achieve what they want to achieve. So just thought I would say that, that is one way to support the program. Another way to support the program is to go to the YouTube channel, which is uh up my hockey with Jason Podolin. Um Putting the podcast up there, uh, the video version of it uh, is being placed there. A lot of our, um, my lessons from the pros, which is actually for those of you who haven't seen those before that is something that I do use with my private clients where I will take pieces of the podcast and I will turn them into coaching moments or coaching videos called lessons from the pro and uh there's been uh, a lot of really positive feedback about those that uh you know they have they have made actual differences uh, for players and and have helped them through different situations so you can always check out uh YouTube, uh, for a great variety of lessons from the pro for anything from, you know, mental toughness to, um, uh, to growth mindset, to, uh, consistency, to how to get out of a slump, to how to become a better goal scorer, you know, you, you, you name it. And I've probably done a video about it. So that's a good spot to to check out if you're into it and also to subscribe. Uh, that is a growing YouTube channel, getting close to 2,000 subscribers now, which is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, by all means, if you just want to support and go press that subscribe button, I would be down with that. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. Let's get you back to what you want to hear, which is my conversation with Jared Bouquet. Yeah. And I, and I don't know why that is. I mean, I've tried to, I've tried to, I mean, it was, it was super relevant, obviously in our age and in any era it's relevant, but I think the way the system was set up, like almost everything was designed when I look back for us to fail. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like as, as a rookie to make the team, uh, you know, the the way the veteran, like everything about the sport was not like, let's go, you're going to be great. It was like, how do we get them out of here? (laughs) <laughs> and, and if you were good enough to stick around, like mentally tough enough to handle whatever it was—the coach yelling at you, or the veterans being mad at you, or whatever the case may be—like you obviously had a passion for the sport. You obviously love what you did. You know, I mean, there was a lot of pre, kind of precursors around um, success. Whereas now, I don't see those hurdles there. Like this is my own little kind of personal thought process on it. Like I, I think it's it's set up to be more inclusive. It's set up not to be as challenging in a lot of ways, which I think is much better. But it also, when times do get tough and it does show up, they're not as used to dealing with it, I think. I don't think they're as, they're as equipped to deal with it, which is why I do think like the formal mental side, mentorship, training, however you want to look at it, um, has a lot of relevance right now in, with today's player. Do you think there's any, any – yeah. do does my, yeah, does no, my theory really hold good. any water, it's, do you think?
0: It's a really good point. And I think part of that, too, is there's just more options now. Kids, kids know more. Like yeah. – if, if this player doesn't make any X, maybe he plays that edge. If he doesn't make an edge, maybe he plays North Stars. If he doesn't make North Stars, the Royals have a spot. So there, maybe there's not that desperation. Like I know for me, growing up in Cranbrook, my dad would not drive me 15 minutes to Kimberley if I got cut from the team. <laughs> I'd be playing for GC Electric in Cranbrook, right? <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was in the house leagues in my <laughs> backyard, and I wouldn't get that,
1: playing like, for the green team. <laughs> yeah,
0: not that nice Phantom Eagle jacket we had. So I would, I was like, I was like, Fuck, I better shoot pucks. Like I, I had do boxing lessons. I gotta like, I just remember being so ramped up and afraid to get cut. Like, what was I gonna do? There's no way. There's no way my dad would drive me to Kimberley. Yeah, you know, and so. I think, I think now with all these different leagues popping up, there's more opportunities for guys. Like you probably were like thinking I'm going to make Spokane and I don't really have a backup plan. You know, now if you, you know, if you don't make cam where are you going to go? You know, maybe I'll go to the BC junior league. And if I don't make it there, maybe I can go to the Alberta junior league or maybe I should play u 18 or so, you know, like, when you get back to war, back then, there were no peace times. The war yeah. was always on. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so um, now, it, you know, the war's on, but it could be off. I could I could go fight for this team now, too. And that's yeah. not a bad thing, you know, yeah. the, to have options. It's just, yeah. it's. I believe the cream will always rise to the crop, you know, to the top. Like, the... The guys that will do the extra and the want it, you can't fabricate it. I talked to an NHL scout actually, Carl Carter Sears. He, I ran into him at the Starbucks the other day, and he's like, "You tell these kids if they want it, don't fake want it. You know, really want it and do the work." And he's just going off, and he starts laughing. I mean, you know, there's a guy that's you know, won Memorial Cup, and they've been around forever. Yeah. Um, so he's with the St. Louis Blues, but he, I was like, yes, Carter, I'll tell these guys, but, you know, you can't tell them too much. It's like they got figured out
1: too. Yeah. Yeah, no, That's a great point. That's a great point. The authenticity, that's one thing I talk with my players about all the time is like, you know, being, and I think that to me, now speaking about the different eras, I, I think that is much more welcome. Like the uh, the ability to be you in a locker room, you know, like, we were pretty vanilla, right? I mean, for the most of us, dress the same, talk the same. Like, there still is a little bit of that homogenization in, in the game now. But I do think that there's allowed to have different personalities. Like, I, I think that's more embraced. and um, And being authentic in that locker room and being authentically you and chasing that dream authentically to you how you would chase it, I think, is really, really important you know, and that does help mental fitness. It helps mental health. It helps all these other things that some guys struggle with in our era. But uh, that is something that I I have noticed. The difference is that we're starting to open the doors a little bit to let people be people. And uh, you must see that. I mean, the guys that most feel more comfortable in their own skin being themselves are the guys that usually have the most success too.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great point because, you know, you want kids to be themselves. You want them to go in. Now, I think what can't be lost is the respect part. You know, you can't go into the, locker room with the being the loudest guy in the room. You can't be a rookie signing bonus driving a nicer car than your captain. I mean, just these little, uh, what do we say, kind of unwritten rules will still always be a rule in hockey. Yeah, and, like
1: shooting the puck into an empty net with a slap <laughs> shot. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, so we have Ridley Gregg and he... like Oh, do you? Yeah, and so Mark Gregg, who actually... Maybe I wasn't the best player in the world, but one thing I could do was take a one-on-one. You know, that was kind of my thing, like one-on-one things. And my dad still just, he still remembers the day Mark Gregg blew by me. (laughs) He was 19 in the Hartford Whalers. I'm 16 years old and just like saw this flash of red go by me. I'm like, whoa. Do not look at the puck. I think from that point on, I never looked at the puck again. I just, (laughs) you know, eyes up, eyes up. So, you know, years later, I kept in touch with Mark. So we represent Ridley. And, uh, you know, there's a kid who's a stone-cold assassin. Actually, Travis Hamanick, he's one of our players uh, with the Senators. He goes, yeah, we voted uh, Ridley to be the guy that most likely can survive in prison. And I go, oh, really? Why is that? He goes, well, you don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't say too much. He's just an assassin, like and he, you know, hockey pedigree. Learned from his dad. He listened to his dad. Just like come to work every day, work your ass off. You know, he spent time in the minors, which has helped him. Yeah. So after he took the shot into the goal, I uh, I called him after, and he's like, you know, with the you know the Toronto Maple Leafs, he goes, wow, did that feel good? He goes, I probably won't do it again, but uh, that felt good. <laughs> <laughs> and people say, well, why didn't he protect himself? He did. He he knew it was coming. He's got that hockey pedigree. He knew it was coming. He took it, and, yeah. and it's all over now, and what I love about it, actually, there was a girl on TikTok. I sent it to Ridley the other day. A girl did it, I think. I don't know if it was at Michigan or somewhere. A girl did it, and it said, the captured the Ridley Greg." So I go, you got your own, you know, there's the Michigan now, and now there's yeah. the Ridley Greg. Every kid is going to, you know, there's this egress flipping over the net, and now everybody's gonna take a slap shot into the open net. I love it. And to your point, it's you. You gotta have the personality. You do have to, you know. Morgan Riley went after him, which, you know, that's part of the code. And uh, yeah, I really just said I probably won't do it again, but
1: I felt right. pretty good. That's interesting. So what what, that, that, I mean, of course, I mean, that's why, and that's where that emotion came from for him to do that in the first place. Right. I mean, of course. And then, and maybe he did black out in that moment. Right. To really know what the, what the accountability would be to that. Right. Like I could totally see that happening. Um, but then he sounded like he owned it afterwards. It wasn't like he was really pointing fingers. Um, is is that where he was like that was wondering with today's generational player like I, I don't i didn't know anything about him at all right from from a personal standpoint but it sounds like he's cut from like you know a little bit of an old cloth so you know he is. he's yeah. he's got an edge
0: he always has i mean i remember him being suspended a couple times in brandon with the weak kings and he's just he's got a little bit of that old school edge to him yeah and it's you know, now we just call it compete. Like he's got that second effort, third effort, fourth effort. Like he'll just, and the thing is about him and with all these young guys, it's like now that he's in the NHL, he's not a kid. He's going to relax. He's right. And I've talked to his dad about this. He goes, wait till he puts on 10, 15 more pounds. Like he had a huge summer last year of training, but he, I'm excited for him. Cause when he can, you know, push guys off now and, Get that extra stride and break away from guys. He's going to be a dangerous player. He's going to be. He's going to have a long NHL career.
1: I love that perspective though, because when I first saw that, I honestly thought, and and again, this was without knowing any history on him at all. Like I I assumed, okay, this is a young player, grew up in an era that you know didn't really require accountability. Oops, sorry, you just cut out there. You back? Yeah. Okay, so didn't really acquire. This is me thinking, right? Accountability, like you know, hasn't hasn't been in a dust up, you know, or a line brawl or whatever. And, and he was just kind of showboating it, you know, It's kind of like my initial response to that, but it's actually the exact opposite. Like he, like, he's just like, he's kind of like heart in his sleeve gladiator, like almost a little bit of a, like knew what he was doing, you know, a, a little bit. Right. And wanted to make a point. I think that's a, Wildly awesome perspective shift uh, for me, and I think that makes it a lot more fun too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's
0: not a man of many words, and uh, he kind of lets his playing do the talking. But he's like, "Oh, that felt good." He's yeah. basically kind of sick of hearing about, you know, the Leafs. I mean, he's a senator, and you yeah. know, he's one of those guys that he's nobody really likes playing against him, but you want him on your team.
1: Yeah, I love that. Would you yeah. rather play with them? I interviewed David Quinn. I had the pleasure of interviewing David Quinn. It was actually a really cool interview for me because I, I had no connection to him at all. Uh, David Oliver was assistant coach with the Rangers at the time, and and uh, he hooked me up with the head coach of the New York Rangers. So had an mm-hmm. amazing conversation with him, and, and one of the things he says, would you rather play with him or against him? Yeah. And that's yeah, how they no. – that's yeah, how they value guys, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known Quinny since his BU days there. And, you know, obviously with the Rangers, we had Leah Sanderson and a few players there. So I've dealt with them And now in San Jose. And, uh, yeah, it's good to get all these perspectives from different coaches. I've, I don't get to deal with coaches that much, actually, yeah. except for the guys I've known or met throughout the years. And it's always good to chat with them and get their, you know, perspective on things for sure.
1: Right getting back to your um, getting back to just sort of what you do and saying how it changed and you're 100% right I mean that that year that I my 16 year old in, year in Spokane no one had talked to me until essentially well I think yeah maybe the end of the year like I ended up scoring 36 that 16 year old year and I think the phone kind of started to ring mm-hmm. when that was happening right and my draft yeah. year was the next year right yeah. like the next year you're getting drafted and so Uh, Definitely didn't have any conversations prior to that. And and now, yeah, I mean, everyone is like, do you have an advisor? Do you have an agent? Sometimes parents kind of get a little bit all wrapped up in that process. And should they seek one or should they just wait until someone seeks them out or, you know, how that works? So how... Maybe just in general, and also maybe how you guys do it. Like you guys are trying to identify talent, I guess it sounds like at a young age, and you will go and make some phone calls. And so maybe walk us through that, and maybe also about maybe for the parent that doesn't have anyone calling them, what what should they do? Right.
0: So yeah, no, it's a for us. I mean, to play in the NHL, you're looking at point zero one percent of the population. So we're trying to find that gem. So Kevin, up my partners in Vancouver, uh, we have Mickey Dupont here in Calgary we have aaron Rome out in um, manitoba former canuck and then we've got a couple guys in sweden and and one in finland and so we're always kind of on the lookout and you know we're talking to different people and whatnot and then we'll go out and watch the player like maybe two three times and you know we're not scouts so we don't get to see him as much as the say the whl scouts do or that so we'll there's a few scouts that i'll talk to who i have been in the business a long time and I value their opinion. And then I'll just kind of watch and say, Hey, that's a, that's a kid. I mean, it's tough for us because we're looking at kids at 14, 15, 16, NHL guys are wrong on 17 year olds. So it's not a perfect sign. So we try to just limit the risk, you know, as the hardworking guy who may talk to their coaches, is he prepared to do Is he a good kid? You know, what kind of character is he? Um, what, you know, so we'll, and then when we get a player, then he kind of comes in our Titan Sports, you know, family mentorship, where it's like we talked about as a three-pronged uh, group with the player, the parent, and the advisors. And then we just try to keep them on that same path, and they've got to push. No one's going to put, you know, your skates on for us. So we tell guys, it's, it's not, I hear people say, oh, my agent got me this, my agent got me that. Well, they didn't. You did. We didn't put your skates on how bad you want are you going to be prepared to get on the ice early stay late do extra be a good teammate that all come out in the wash as you know so then we kind of limit the risk and and try to go forward with those guys um for the parent or the player because there's a lot of really good players that maybe aren't quite there but they're really great players so for those kids well, first of all, everyone's starting to freak out about the band graph, right? <laughs> and draft, right? I'm telling guys, like, just, it does not matter about the band. I don't know if Darren Helm was even drafted, or, I mean, half our clientele were late-round picks, NHL picks, some were first-round picks, but we have a lot of late-round late guys. We have a lot of guys that went to camp as a free agent. We have other guys that are maybe not developed and want to go BC Junior League and go to college, take a little bit longer route. But for those next group of players you don't really need to seek out an agency because if you're seeking out an agent or a representative, you're not quite there yet. So I tell guys and families that are like, I, I talked to, you know, a dad this morning and his player is a very good player, but he's not a player that, you know, maybe pro wise. What's kind of good now is that there are some agencies that make a living at they charge players now. Um, <clears throat> and that can be valuable when you're navigating the waters through this way you know what I'm not sure some agencies charge you have to be very careful that they have the background of hockey and they have a resume placed players but they'll charge players just to help them navigate the AJ the BC Junior League and the USHL and whatnot Um, so that's a bit of a good it's kind of a good resource for that next uh, group of players
1: right yeah so I can see that. I mean, there's definitely value in that because if you're not been around the game, you know, and you're not really sure uh, how the process works and you need some advisor, just like you would do in any other business thing, right? You would get an advisor to help you out. I mean, I I understand uh, that there is value in that. Again, but you have to vet who it is you're talking to for sure, yeah. and what it is the service they're providing. Uh, it sounds like that you, if you would seek out somebody uh, at a younger age, that that is not a, a, a pay situation. They're just in in your umbrella, and is that how that works, or or do I get? Yeah, no, we don't
0: charge our clients. We we charge if they make the NHL, and we charge a percentage off their NHL contracts. Like, but um, like I said, there's a whole group of other players that are good that are coming up to the ranks in different leagues and opportunities for girls, um, more and more every day. So I think, uh, the need for that advisor is probably, you know, uh, more and more now. I mean, I know for my daughter who played high level tennis in the States, we, we had an advisor. I paid him. He was qualified. He coached at Baylor for 20 years. He got her to hit in Denver and in Colorado and just different places just cause I didn't, you know, I don't want to be that parent making phone calls to to places yeah. because, you know, sometimes a parent might ask something and unwittingly just kind of piss the coach or GM off. They don't even know they're doing it. So, no. and pl- when you get to our level, especially in the Western, League, you know, GM might want to deal with five or six agents. They so can't deal with 22 parents. So, yeah. um, but what I do know, and going through this myself a little bit with my my son, I've seven, is that they'll find you. Scouts will find you teams will find you you know I'm dad so I'm not really his advisor per se, but you know if you play good they you know he's gotten some letters and
1: um the scouts will find you if you're doing doing your job right what would what would be um i you mean you're if you're reaching out to a fourteen year old you know that's going to be a high pick say in the bantam draft and you and you've and again the way that your model works uh you know you you do want to invest wisely because you are investing in that player hoping that one day they're going to be a pro. And, and we, we both know how hard that's going to be. So you're going to be selective in what you're doing. What, what, once they do come underneath that uh, Titan sports management umbrella, how, how are you helping them in that scenario? Because I guess that is what you're helping them to be a player. I mean, that's in both of your p- people's best interests. So what, what would that look like?
0: Okay. okay so yeah, uh, after the initial meeting and they've decided to give us a handshake, you can't sign really anything. Otherwise, it can ruin some eligibility and whatnot. And um, so we'll go on a handshake and uh, right there and then we'll have, we'll sit down with them and, and set some goals. And those goals, okay, if you're talking with us now, you want to play in the National Hockey League. Well, you can't just go and play in the National Hockey League. It, it's the little goals now that will add up to that big goal. So why do you play hockey? What are you going to do? Where do you want to end up? What are you going to do? What's it? gonna take to get there? What is your summer training gonna look like? What's your weight by camp? What's your rest look like? So we'll set some goals with the guys. And that seems to make it a little bit clearer for them and keep them in starting on that path. Mm -hmm. And you can get back to it. It's like, hey, well, you just did this. Like, uh, is that helping your goal or is it hurting your goal? And it's usually pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And, um, after that, you know, they'll, go to our camp and then we'll figure out where they're going to play the following year and usually you know if they're drafted in the western hockey league sometimes the team might have something to say about that we want them here or you know but some people don't have the resources or some people don't have um not sure where they should go so we'll maybe help them play for a year before they can get into the western hockey league and then we really have to prepare them to get in the Western League because, as you know, I mean, everybody's a superstar in Bantam and now you're in the Western League and everybody's a superstar. Everybody's a type A personality. Every parent has put in time and effort and money and driving and it's so competitive out there. Like, now what? What? You know, you're just trying to survive as a
1: 16-year-old now. Like, That's you're really going to get real, hey? I think for the first time it gets really real there, I, I, I think. gets really real. I mean, it's yeah. like...
0: Now I'm away from home. I'm not sure, my billets are good and, you know, but you don't know what's going through a young guy's mind and how they're dealing with different things. So we tell the guys, like, we're not gonna call you all the time. Like, in other words, if you get injured or you're sick or you're something, I wanna know about it, it's... And so I always say, like, men aren't great communicators to begin with. Like, if, if I text, you know, another guy, you get one word answers or, you know, this and that, like, so, We have to up our communication. And it starts with a young player. You got to reach out to us too. In other words, if I go to Medicine Hat and you're sick and you're not playing, I don't know about this. I just wasted three hours driving there. (laughs) So we put some onus back on those guys too. And they've been great. And what's, I think, what's actually way better now is things like, you know, whether it's a Zoom call or a FaceTime or just a text. You know, sometimes players, they don't, especially at the pro level, they don't need to see you all the time. They want to hear from you. So, you know, the other night I'm watching the Islander game and Ryan Pulak bombs went in. I might just fire him a text and say, hey, nice shot. Or and you have a banter, you comment on their story. So we can, you know, you up your communication that way. But then when it gets real, you know, it's obviously a phone call. You know, if a player is going through a situation with a coach or a teammate or whatnot, then... Then they know, you know, they can call us, you know.
1: That's a really important part of it, I think, and that's like when people ask me that question. That's why I like talking to you guys on the other end of it, you know, parents, you know what what to look for and or how do you judge and, you know the the business side can't be overlooked. Like it, it you mean you'd be negligent to <laughs> overlook it because that is a big piece. Uh, but I'm going to throw in a big but there. Like the relationship side to me trumps it. I think. I mean, unless we're talking about... I mean, I I can't even say that because I don't even know what the world is like for Connor McDavid. You know what I mean? What he needs or what he doesn't need or who could do his contract or who couldn't. I'm sure there's massive value there for the right player as well. But it's so hard to get there, like you said. And even once you're getting in, you know, like that the communication, the relationship side with whoever that is, that representative, and whatever way that player needs it, whether it's lots of touch points or a text or whether it's a phone call or the ability to pick up, uh, or answer a call when somebody when somebody calls. I just think that there there can't be enough value stated on that because you need somebody. You I mean, you need somebody that you feel like really has your back and gives a shit. And if you don't have that, I, it can be a pretty lonely world out there sometimes for some guys. So uh, that's my advice, at least. I'm like, make sure you really enjoy the person's company. Like, make sure that you feel like you want to be around them. Make sure that, that that conversation, when you have one, you you usually feel good or enlightened or something after it. Uh, and they're going to answer the phone when you call. I'm like, those are really, really big things for me.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's, you know, it gets, it's all relationship-based You know, especially like our company, we're kind of a mid-sized company. We don't want to be a really huge company. We're kind of a boutique, and we want our parents to call us or text us, uh, our players, to be in constant communication with them because, like I said, these guys are going to most end up in Lehigh Valley. and Who's going to go to bat free? Who's going to work in? All these players, they're so uh, smart. They know so much more, but they really want two things. They want your agent to work hard for you and be honest with you. So in other words, we don't just deliver the good news because (laughs) you have to help with, you know, and you've seen how even in the American League or Western League or college, anything that the coach doesn't have time to talk to 22 guys after games. So now with Instat and, you know, having Mickey uh, DuPont is such a valuable thing because he can break down video with guys and, we see somebody struggling and it's like we're on the phone to Mick and he's like a, like hockey whisperer kind of guy. Like he just he breaks it down in
1: a simple way to, to reach the players. And yeah, he's, he's excellent. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, uh, Nick, was actually on, on, on the podcast and I, and I did some work with, uh, with his oldest boy as well. So that was fun to know yeah, them. Yeah. And obviously we know he has, uh, do you guys represent, Lan- uh, Landon by chance? Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What a what a player good. he looks like he's gonna be, boy. Yeah,
0: good young player. Yeah, we've got some really good young guys coming up to the pipeline and like I said, it's a if we can get Mick working with a lot of these younger guys at younger ages, you know, we never wanna interfere with what the coach is saying or anything like that. But just you know how the those intrinsic parts of the game you can't get a late start on, you can't get in YouTube, you can't find, you can't fake your way through it. Like he played I think a thousand pro games, so he can talk to to the kids at a young age and tell them just you know what they need to do. And every kid, you know, there's only a couple. You know, there's only a Connor Bedard or a Connor, you know, McDavid, and you know, or a Landon Dupont or this player. But the rest of the players, they add a lot of value on just doing that job as well. So you might not be the flashy guy. Like I was looking at some. NHL guys, their points even in Bantam weren't even high. But they get the puck out. I mean, had a coach, he was like, if I could have a defenseman do only one thing, it would be to get the puck out. Well, guys are making a million bucks a year getting the puck out. Getting it out on the wall or, you know, whatever you do, do it really well. And and be smart and, uh, you know, make those routine ground balls so that when it's time to get fancy and you have that skill, you can do it. But up until then, it's a pretty, you know,
1: Keep it simple. Yeah. No, I love, I'm glad you bring that up because there, there's always such a race and everyone's so adamant about, you know, points, generally speaking, you know, a vast majority of, of <laughs> players get, get all wrapped up in that. Uh, but it's, it's, it, it. so like those, is, I'm just, this is more for the audience than for you, Jared, but like the, the ability to play in a top three role in the American league is really, really tough. The ability to do it at the NHL level is, is even tougher. Right. So, Who's going to fill all these other spots in the team, right? And how are they going to provide value? Because there is only one puck on the ice and there's only one power play, you know? So it's 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 interesting when you say that because there there is guys that were only ever third-line guys in the Western League that are third-line guys in the NHL because they knew what that job was and they got really good at it and they were dependable and that's what they were, you know? The, there is obviously the guys that have figured it out, that were the 120-point guys in the WHL that come down and slot into a third-line role because they figured it out. But that's a tough way to do it too, you know. Like to to learn that side of the game and to be dependable and to fall in love with those areas of the game too. So there's a lot of ways to get to the, you know, to get paid to play, and, and that's totally one of them. Like understand <laughs> what it is you're good at, own it, and uh, and just do it better than anybody else. And that's a really good way to get found. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Like I yeah. I see it when we talk about it that if you can make their call routine ground balls. Yeah. You know, hit to the shorts up to the first base ten out of ten times you're making. You're doing good. And and you know, Thomas Hickey's one of my players who's, you know, played at the edge, grew up in Calgary, was a top draft pick, but he went, he found his way in the NHL. And we talked about million dollar plays. He made little million dollar plays all over the ice. And he talks about it now. He's the New York Islanders, you know, play-by-play guy. And you know, coming around the net, snap to the wall, million dollar play. You know, that winger getting it out. Under heavy forecheck, that's a million-dollar play. And if you can keep doing it, I mean, Shea Weber always used to say, Josh Georges, those guys, they used to say, you can make a 10-foot pass 10 out of 10 times, you can play in the NHL. Not nine times. Nine times you can't. Not nine and a half. It's 10 out of 10 every time. You know, I'm talking to some of the Ducks when Scott Niedermeyer signed back in in Anaheim back in the day. They're like, wow, he just makes our life easier because the puck is on the tape every time. It's not here, it's not back here, it's right. I don't even have to move my stick. So, you know, we have that young Bowen Byron in uh, Colorado, and he's you know, he gets to play and see how Kale McCarr is, probably one of the best defensemen in the world, and and you know, every young D man wants to watch McCarr but also watch Tays, watch Byron and watch Gerard, watch those other guys. Like when they won the cup, all those guys, you know, played different roles. And you know, it's Especially with the salary cap now, you see it's such top end, such high end pay up. You know, you have a first line guy making twelve million and the fourth line guy making seven, seven, five or eight hundred. Well, they're still valuable. If you're gonna win, you that eight hundred thousand dollar player is very, very valuable.
1: Big time. Yeah. Big time. And not only is he valuable, but he's valuable to himself because if he gets out of that first deal, yeah. you know that's the deal. You the second deal is the best deal. Yeah. Right.
0: Like I, 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 yeah, the second deal exactly. If you can, yeah. you know, a real hockey player in the NHL is on their second contract. The first contract's an entry level deal, but you know, the second contract shows you can play in the NHL. You've played in, you played an eighty two game season. You've got probably over hundred games in the NHL. So now you're you're a full timer.
1: Yeah so So that's the the key and then obviously you're stepping into that other aspect and it's like how do you make yourself relevant and teams now more than ever again speaking not to you but to everyone else like they need the entry-level deals like you you can be a young guy much easier than ever before because they have to have them with the salary cap right you need guys that can play that are entry-level deals so yeah get your foot in the door find a way to be relevant and then just scrap tooth claw and nail to stick around Take one more stop here, brief, brief stop from the podcast. Just to remind you that right now, as this video is being recorded, this podcast is being released, it is end of February, early March, which is the perfect opportunity to start thinking about next hockey season. I know that sounds crazy, but if you are in some type of board member position or if you are a president of an association or if you are a manager of a team right now, and if your association does not have personal development or mindset development as a part, a standard part of your organization, that is directly where Up My Hockey is going next year. Uh, I'm currently in discussions with four uh, different associations and academies to see what that would look like for them. I have great packages from the U13, U15, U18 levels, competitive levels. That is my sweet spot with players and with teams. If you have a competitive team and you want and they want to get better and you want to get better, uh, and you want to promote from within, within your organization, to allow these players to become better humans and better players, to allow them to be able to handle their own problems and challenges, uh, this is something you definitely want to explore. Win, win, win all the way around. Uh, and right now I know a lot of play- people are in the planning phases of what next year will look like. So if that is something that you sound, think sounds interesting, um, by all means, be progressive. Uh, go to UMH or upmyhockey.com. Uh, get that contact form and let me know that you're interested. We'll get on a call. I love having these exploratory phone calls uh, and seeing if there is a good fit or not. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Next year, it's happening. I know. Let's get it happening now so we don't uh, get the rug pulled out from underneath us and lose track of time. And uh, let's see where we can take this. All right. Now let's get back to the conversation with Jarrett Bouquet. Well,
0: Darcy Tucker was a was a great example that you played against him. Like he came in camels, he must have been 150 pounds. And I think, like he showed up, it was a funny tux, uh, you know, I'll have to tell this story, but he had a bear sweater on. We all had suits and he had a, a and it had a bear on it. <laughs> we're looking at him on the bus and we're like, I think he got cut, cut, tux. I think it, we, we cut the team. And he was like, I'm getting on this bus and I'm playing. And we're like, wow, okay. So in the three games and three nights we had, he had three fights and like four goals, one face-offs. So we're like, who is this little guy? He couldn't send him home. In practice, he was fighting guys. He, he's the most intense guy I've ever seen. And he just created value for himself. Same with Ryan Husky. I mean, when we won the Memorial Cup, I think he was one of our best centermen. It's like winning face offs. So maybe a superstar would come off the ice and Husky would go on because he would win a draw for us. So even at the AAA and Bantam level, like when we're watching players, and if you're skating down the wall and two guys are coming at you and you're and you can't chip it or make a smart play or the routine ball. Like, we're gonna x you out. If your coach wants you to get it behind the d and you can't do it, you can't play at the next level. I'm watching it. It happens, I guess, sometimes. But I'm watching a player the other day. He's. Uh, we were kind of, you know, having a real look at him, and he went to dump the puck and hit the ref right in the chest. <laughs> we're going. All oh, your job was to do the job would have been done perfect if you would have done that little job right there. If you can't do that job, then you can't play power play. Then you can't play at the next level. You'll play at this level. Fine. Yeah. But to, you know, hockey sense is now at an all time high and a vogue. Like it's, you know, it goes cyclical. Like, you know, at times back in the day, they wanted size, you know, when Eric Lindros was, you know, and they drafted big, big D man and big, and then all of a sudden you win with smaller guys. Well, we can't win with small guys. we got to get heavier. We need more grit. We need, you know, and people are giving me, like, talking about Ryan Reeves. Well, that's what the Leafs need. They need that toughness, that grit. And, you know, so now it's back to hockey sense. It's like you can pick these smart players out now fairly easy. And it's through making simple plays. You know, toe-dragging a guy at the blue line with, you know, a one-on-three is not a smart hockey play. I might I might look, wow, he was smart enough to recognize that there, and he chipped it there. That's a good play. I'm going to watch him one more time. I don't care about points. We don't really care about the points. Actually, I was talking with a kid the other day, or a parent. He's like, oh, Johnny had more points last year. He's having a bad year this year. He's, I was like, I had to stop. I go, wait, there's not one scout up here that knows what his points were last year everybody sees he's smart he takes an extra second he makes plays he's grown he's a young guy there I promise you there we can go talk to any of these scouts they won't know what his points were last year and probably most don't know what they are this year it's like will you know this translate to the next level
1: I love that I love hearing that I mean it's it's one of those things where you know you can kind of beat a drum as long as you want to beat a drum and uh, you know the players have a hard time buying in because everyone wants to be recognized on, on the score sheet, and you 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 yeah. try and get them to adapt. You know, doing the little things. Well, what's the message, Jared, to a guy that's maybe, you know, he's he's not the phone's not ringing off the hook. Maybe you know, maybe he's he's not he's not lighting the league league up right now, but he's super dedicated. You know, he's a good player, like you said, he's one of those good players. Maybe not a great player yet. Um, What's your message to those guys out there?
0: well i think you know getting back to the things you can control that don't take talent right like paying attention like be a great teammate show up early help with water bottles help with do extra shoot more coaches see it they'll coaches most coaches if you ask for extra help they'll give you extra help do extra like if you're on the ice two minutes five minutes extra every day over the course of a week you've got an extra half hour over the course of a year you've got you know just try to do extra watch some hockey Pick a pick a good player that you like and kind of study and be a student of the game. But I think for these kids and especially the younger kids, puberty changes them so much. And some guys have early birthdays, some guys have late birthdays. And I, I didn't mean like that players at eleven are the best players at twelve. It's the likelihood because those players are still pushing themselves and pushing. Well, if you're not there yet, keep pushing yourself too. Like do some extra work. Um, watch the game because like I said hockey sense these scouts will find it if you have some hockey sense and you know if you know how to play hockey they'll find you and then you got to work on your skating like it's the name of the game right there's so many fast kids now and back in the day like you know Paul Coffey he could just skate better than everybody and then you know Scott Niedermeyer he could just skate better than everybody now there's maybe a few guys that can skate like that but everybody's pretty good there's not you know 10-15 years ago there's fourth line guys couldn't skate at all even the bigger guys can skate so you got to just work on skating and and just keep plugging away showing up being every day.
1: yeah i think that uh you bring up a couple interesting points there like the 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 psychology of sports and even like the birth you know you're talking about those early birthdays and when you're talking about a 10 year old let's say you know and you're born in january or you're born in december that's a hell of a lot of development that you're missing out on chasing the guy who's the January birthday, you know, and Malcolm Gladwell's done a ton of, I mean, there's a lot of research out there on this stuff too, but you mean, that older guy gets the better coaching, gets the better spots, gets more, gets more uh, positive feedback, right. More probably interested in, 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 in developing themselves, right. Putting more work in because they're getting this, this environment has been created for them uh as opposed to the kid that's you know not there yet and it, the only real thing is is he's just not physically as mature right like he yeah. hasn't had the the actual time right um so it, it i mean it does you I mean it does mellow itself out of course once you get into your 20s and stuff but all through those like key development years like these these younger players are really chasing and really i mean quite honestly at a you know at a disadvantage uh and how do you how do you look at that um and I think that it's not recognized enough in the scouting is why I'm kind of going there too, right? Like it's easy to fall in love with the big, strong guy. Uh, and sometimes younger guys are also big and strong, but they're maybe not quite mentally there yet. You know, I'm just, how do you, how do you handle that landscape when it comes to birth year and just age in general?
0: Well, some of that uh, Malcolm Gladwell has been debunked in the sense that when he did that study, they were, you know, born in the first few months. But actually some of the top superstars in the league have late birthdays. Now, if you do the work and you're a late birthday guy, so, you know, if you're a late 06, you're really an 07, if you're in late 07, you're really an 08, if you can do the work, if you can make it up, at some point you will have to do extra, if you can catch those, you know, if you're a late, say, if you're, a you know, a late 07, if you can catch the 07s and stay ahead of the 08s, like... They've shown in draft wise, like super, some of the super high end guys actually have lay birthdays. Yeah. You know, like the Austin Matthews and these guys. So, like when I talked about the cream will rise to the top, it's you got to do that extra work. So, sometimes, and if it is a maturity thing, if you can get it to your head to do that extra work and catch those guys, can yeah. actually be a bit of an advantage. But puberty, it takes a big thing, and some guys just don't grow. And when yeah. guys get a a little extra shot of that man juice. Now they can get lower, they get stronger, then you can put the weight on and and whatnot. So,
1: yeah. no, I love that. Yeah. I mean, if you can stick around at the party, right? I mean, that's really the thing for, for a lot of them, right? For as long as you can. And then, and then, yeah, take advantage and, and get caught up. I mean, there, there is the advantage of the NHL draft, and it's really it's the only time where it becomes a full on advantage of having a mm-hmm. late birthday So you get the extra year of junior, which can be amazing for a lot of guys just with your minutes played and responsibilities and everything else, right? Yeah. Uh, once you get in there. Uh, but yeah, it is uh when you see the guys that are young and, and, and that are stars already, that's like when it becomes like really impressive to me. It's like, holy smokes, like these guys are are really special and uh and, and interesting to keep an eye on. My 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 why I'm kind of so I actually did a whole <clears throat> breakdown, you'll probably think of it. I like geeking out on stuff sometimes. And so like the last two Bantam drafts, I looked at everybody's birthday in the Bannum draft. Um, yeah, I mean, just to see what it said and And I guess like if you were to think of it just in terms of like how people are born, people are born, you know, like throughout the year in in equal, right? So the draft you would think would be like a quarter of the first, you know, the first three months of the year, a quarter, a quarter and a quarter. Um, Of course, it's not. It isn't that way. It turned out like the second and third quarters were roughly 25% of the draft. Uh, but the first quarter was more like forty percent of the draft, and the last quarter, so the the October, November, December birthdays were only represented like nine percent representation, right? Yeah. Um, which, in and of itself, I mean, not that it, I mean, there definitely can be high skilled players coming from there. I mean, the Gavin McKenna's of the world and the Austin Matthews and all these, they, there are there are players. But I just as when you take that big picture, I mean, there's no way that a quarter of the draft isn't as skilled or wouldn't be as good of a hockey player just because of where they were born, right? Like right. that in of itself shows you that there's some error in what's going on, right? Yeah,
0: there, definitely. There is some for sure. Um, especially like at that younger age, like you said, because puberty takes a huge, yeah. huge deal. Huge you know, deal. now if the Western League, they talked about this is that, you know, if the Western League draft was a year later, there'd be less mistakes. It would change, guys change, guys grow, Maybe that would, you know, change things a lot because as you get older, yeah, the birthday's not as big as significant, but definitely at the younger ages, it can be a disadvantage for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it all depends on, I mean, there's the kids that grow an inch or two inches at 18 or whatever. And like, even like changing the the draft year for Bantam a year wouldn't affect them either. But so there's no perfect scenario. I recognize that, but I think it is interesting when you can, as a scout, if I was one, like to... Put some type of consideration into that birth like not just the birth year but really how old is he you know what I mean like yeah. how much room is there for him and how much runway might there be um, because yeah I mean I was just thinking <laughs> with, with my own kid if the, if you pause the clock and let him let him play and develop for another 11 months and everyone else yeah. had to stay in the same spot like or the January birthdays like yeah. watch out it wouldn't even be close you yeah. know like
0: but, but some scouts will look at that and go okay well yeah. he's a late birthday he's his upside is bigger I don't care if he's Good right now. We want him to be good at 19. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. We we want him to be. You know, there's some coaches that two people are equal. They'll take the younger guy because at Christmas he's going to be better. This yeah. guy might have been topped out. So. It's so all you do, and, you know, that January birthday that doesn't work very hard, is not, he's going to get caught by that December 30th birthday yeah. if he's doing extra, so.
1: Yeah, 100%. I love watching that stuff. I think it's fascinating how, and everyone has their different path. I mean, that's the end of the day. It's like, I mean, everyone has their their path, and whatever that path is, is your path. You just got to own it. And getting caught up in that game, you know, of, like, who's doing what, and where, you know, who's getting talked to, or who's had Jarrett Bouquet talked to them, and who hasn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you has got to, Buy into what you're doing, and buy into being an everyday guy, and I think that's a really great lesson because if you if you love it, at the end of the day, it'll take you wherever it needs to take you. You know. Yeah,
0: hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Um, anything uh, Anything that you think we should chat about that we haven't? I think we've covered it all.
0: I think so. I think I liked what you touched at the end. Everybody has a different path. If I talk to thirty NHL guys, they all had different paths. Everyone kind of looks at the 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 top top guys and what their path is, but my other 30 guys like Darren Helm will have a different story and path than Oliver Ekman larson You know, um different path than Andre Berikovsky different path and Paint Krebs or Bowen Byron. Like there is no uh right path or secret formula or secret sauce. It's just getting focused and to the grind and and don't get caught up with what everybody else is doing.
1: Yeah, totally true. Though, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times and it, I mean, it can become, you know, lip service, but I mean, the part about controlling the controllables is is like really understanding what that is and mastering that uh, to the best of your own individual ability is is like the only place to be and the only place to really invest because as you know, like injuries, opportunity, like there, there's so many things that are out of your control uh, at, for real good hockey players. You're just trying to increase your chances. To be ready for whatever opportunity is there, right? And if you if you aren't checking some of those boxes, like you're just not giving yourself the best chance, you know, and so it seems a little bit foolish, right? And um, and I guess that's that's an awesome message maybe that we can leave on because it is something that is much easier said than done. But if you can just keep your nose down and take care of what you can take care of, um, you can be proud at the end of the day. That's the other thing I like about that whole message is like you can leave the game feeling like you did your part you know, yep. and knowing that you didn't leave any stone unturned. And uh, and if you can do that, my goodness, you're going to be a great lawyer or doctor or agent or dentist or whatever it is that you want to do uh, in your next life, and, and you know that hockey gave you whatever you could. And and I I think there's a no-lose in that scenario.
0: 100%, yep. Take, take hockey as far as you can take it.
1: Yeah. Take the hockey as far as you can take it. I love it. Well, thanks for your time. Um, thanks for sharing everything with us. Um, congratulations on all the success that, that you've had. Uh, I love those stories of, you know, guys, guys starting with an idea and a dream and, and, and building it. And, and you guys have obviously done that. So uh, great to see what you're doing out there, Jared. And I'm sure we're, our, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll stay in contact here, but I appreciate what you did for my listeners today.
0: For sure. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Awesome.
1: All right, thank you for being here. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Uh, I love the million-dollar play piece. I think that is such uh, great wisdom there, Uh, the idea of being really, really proud of a simple task, what might seem simple, I should say, Uh, what might seem not very glamorous, not very flashy, but as a defenseman can come around the net and find the center or the winger consistently on the tape. It's a million-dollar play. Do it 10 out of 10 times and you can play in the NHL. Like that is really wild because it actually is the truth. The fact that we were talking about players that can be a third line player at junior A, a third line player at college, a third line player in the AHL, a third line player in the NHL, that happens much more often than we realize because we are so star focused. We are so highlight real focused right now as a, as a society, as the sports networks and what they show in YouTube and social media and everything. It's always these dazzle, dazzle, dazzle. But the truth of the matter is coaches and GMs need players who are consistent and who can do the little things that allow teams to win hockey games. That's what they want. They want teams that will, players that will help their odds of winning hockey games. And a defenseman that can get the puck out to a winger or to a centerman with control is somebody that can help you win hockey games. A winger who can get the puck off the wall and out into the neutral zone or to another player and have a clean zone exit is somebody that can help you win hockey games. Now, of course, people who get goals and assists and score 60 are people that can help you win hockey games too, but you don't have teams that are filled with 60 goal scores. It just doesn't happen. So take pride in your execution, wherever that may be. The details of the game matter. And if you get really great at them, somebody will pay you for it. That's pretty good. Someone will give you an education for it, right? Someone will give you a spot on a junior team for it. Really, really cool stuff. I love that takeaway. That was one of my favorites. I know there was a lot of others there, but, um, yeah. And the other part I actually, I'm just going to add with is the idea that if you aren't one of these high profile guys that maybe your phone isn't ringing right now, that agents aren't trying to represent you, who cares? Just got to get better. That's the end of the story message. Whether you are somebody that the phone is ringing for, you got to get better. Or whether somebody, the phone, you're out there and the phone isn't ringing for you. You got to get better, right? So fall in love with the process, fall in love with your journey, fall in love with your development. And if you are playing because you want the phone to ring, that's your reason for playing. Well, I'll tell you right now, you're playing for the wrong reasons. Fall in love with the sport, fall in love with your teammates, fall in love with the aspect of getting better in your development. And who the heck knows where that's going to take you. You're on your own journey, not somebody else's. Keep reminding yourself when you look in the mirror. Did I get better I didn't I today? Is this what I want to do? Play hockey. And if I do want to play hockey, I need to improve. So get out there and get after it. Play hard and keep your head up. Until next time.